want to welcome you to the Bethel Podcast. Today is Wednesday, February the 19th, and I trust that whenever this podcast finds you or you find it, whether it be starting your morning today or later in the evening or later on this week, trust that you're having a great day, great week, and what a great weekend we just came off of. It all began last Friday with Valentine's Day. And uh, then, of course, this weekend was Family Day, a holiday here in Ontario. Monday was a day off, so it's great to have a shorter week. I'm sure many of you are quite happy about that. And for those of you who are part of our uh, Family Day skate and then pizza party afterwards, Pastor Trisha told me that you had a great time. I'm so sorry that I couldn't be there. Uh, Right after the service Sunday morning, I started just sneezing and feeling a head cold coming on, and sure enough... So the last couple days here, I've been uh, just battling, working through a head cold, but it will not get the victory over me, because greater is he, and I'm more than a conqueror, amen. So I'm just trusting the next couple days I'll be back to normal, but I only want to bless the people. I don't want to give anybody any germs or anything, so I stayed away on Monday from the family skate, uh, but uh, we had a great weekend. What a great message Pastor Tricia had for us Sunday morning. At our Sunday morning service, we had a great attendance, and Trisha preached from the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, where Martha was very busy and distracted with many things, but Mary chose that important part of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And uh, Trisha just had a great uh, message there that it's not about a lack of the importance of serving, but the distractions that can come into our lives. The Bible says that Martha was distracted by many things. And so often in life, as we all know, that the important things sometimes give way to the distractions that come into our lives. So it was a great call to just examine our lives and, um, you know, look at the things that are um, sometimes very good and even necessary, but sometimes the necessary can outweigh, or the immediate outweighs the, the important. And to really live our lives intentionally that we are focusing on the things, first of all, that are most important. I remember, uh, maybe some of you have seen this example, but I've seen it, and I think I even did it one year for a youth ministry or something, but, uh, you know, they have a container full of large rocks and then smaller stones and then uh, yet smaller pebbles and then sand, and then they're looking to fill this container, and that they fill it with the sand first, and then the pebble, smaller rocks, the pebbles and the stones, and then... There's no room left in the size of this container for the big rocks. and uh, But if they did it the other way, using the same container, and of course we all have so many minutes and hours in our day, if they put the big rocks in first, and then the stones, and then the pebbles, then the sand fills in all that gap area, you're able to put it all in. And so it's just learning how to put first things first, It's amazing when you put first things first that second things tend to take care of themselves and tend to fall into place. And so it was a great message and a great reminder. Trisha didn't give that example. I'm just giving that now, but great example of um, a great message about uh, the importance of priorities in our lives. And uh, so if you haven't listened, I encourage you to go to our website and uh, listen to Pastor Trisha's message. It'll be a great blessing to you. So forgive me today if my voice is a little rough or sound a little heavy on the breathing or whatever. It's uh, I'm working through a cold, but wanted to come to you today and trust this is going to be a, a big blessing. Uh, one thing I just want to mention before I get into our podcast today, and that is uh, uh, the last I heard, Wendy was in surgery. Uh, I received a text from her Tuesday at 1230. Wendy Lumley is I'm talking about. This is a lady in our church that has been waiting for the last few months for a double lung transplant. And so Tuesday around 12.30, she texted me and said the doctor said that in the next the next two hours, the surgery is going to take place, and then I haven't heard anything. So I'm trusting no news is good news, and we're just praying and believing that everything's going to go well. As soon as I know or hear something, I'll post on social media or send out an all-church email to our church to let them know how Wendy's doing. But um, so we've just been praying Tuesday for her and just believing God that in a few months from now, Wendy Lumley and Mike Lumley are going to stand at the front of our church, giving praise to God and giving a great testimony. Amen. So what I want to do today on this podcast, my plan, as I've mentioned on these podcasts every week, is to more have testimonies from people, get to know people. 
But uh, for sure, once a month, uh, approximately once a month, I want to do a little bit of a teaching or an exhortation. And I was thinking, because we just came off of Valentine's Day and Family Day, to do a little talk, a little message here today on, I call it, Top 10 Keys to a Successful Home and Marriage. Top 10 Keys to a Successful Home and Marriage. And uh, so as I just sort of introduce this here to you, I want to walk through, you know, remember, I don't know, some of you remember David Letterman had his top 10 list. So with all of my years of ministry experience, talking with couples, observing families, being married myself, and then also growing up in a home with a successful marriage. Um, I just remember one day thinking, I want to put down in some points some things that I think are just essential to have a successful home and a blessed marriage. And um, of course, it's not just knowing these things, it's applying these things. And, And what I'm going to give you wouldn't necessarily be everything, but I call it my top 10 keys to successful home and marriage. And I'm breaking this down into categories. Talk about spiritual things, emotional issues or or emotional realm, relational, financial, uh, even sexual. So this little talk I want to give today is a little bit PG-13, so just a little warning on that. But uh, let's get into this today. And as we do, I just want to put this little song on because we're going to talk a little bit about love and marriage. Love and marriage. So I thought a little Frank Sinatra to get us started here uh, today on this uh, Bethel podcast on having top 10 keys to having a successful home and marriage. So I've grouped these into categories. So I want to talk here, first of all, I'm going to try to get through this quickly here, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the spiritual success. Uh, Of course, this needs to be foundation. Jesus said, he who hears my sayings and does them is like a man who builds his house, builds his home, builds his life, builds his marriage on a rock. So let me give you three things here in my first 10 that kind of all around the, the, um, the spiritual realm. And uh, so here we go. Number one, my top 10 list. And this may sound for some kind of self-serving because I'm a pastor. You say, well, of course, you're a pastor, you're going to say this, but... I'm saying it based on years of observation. Now, I'm saying this, it's a bit of a generalization. Of course, there are exceptions either way. But I would say number one to a key to a successful home and marriage is, of course, I'm speaking to Christians or a Christian home marriage. Uh, Some of these would apply in a non-Christian home, but for sure here I'm talking about a successful Christian home and marriage. Number one Make the church the center of your family activities. Now, I would say this. The strongest families and marriages that I've witnessed are those that have made the church the hub of their lives. You have to remember that the church uh, was not created in the mind of man. It was created in the mind of God. It was God who started this thing called the church. It's him that says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And it goes on to say, and all the more as you see the day approaching, there's something powerful about coming together as Christian believers. There's something important and powerful about that weekly reminder and discipline of participation in the house of God. But I would say more than just showing up, it would be really getting involved uh, get involved in service, get involved in helping. I don't, again, mean this to be self-serving, but I'm talking much more about being just an attender, kind of shows up and then shows out for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. That's great. But getting actively involved, uh, showing your children right at an early age the importance of the house of God. You know, it said of Jesus, he said, the zeal for thy house consumes me. 
The psalmist said this, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will ever be praising you. And, uh, you know, a lot of times parents, they... Uh, They've got their kids so busy and things, and all of a sudden they're a teenager and uh, they're experiencing some rebellion issues or whatever. And all of a sudden there's like, I got to get my kid in church. I got to get in the youth group and kind of put everything on the youth pastor to kind of save their kids. Well, friends, uh, God can do anything at any age, but it's so important at the earliest of age to establish uh, a foundation, to establish a path. I know in my home now, of course, <laughs> my parents were pastors, so didn't have much of a choice, but there wasn't a choice every week. Well, should we go to church or not? The decision was made, we go to church. Now, again, my dad was the pastor, so <laughs> he kind of had to go, but he wanted to go. But even to show the discipline of it, even when we were on vacation, I remember as a kid, We'd go to church, we'd find a place, and it wasn't out of a, a legalistic a mindset. It wasn't like, we have to go because if we don't, God's going to be angry at us. And No, it was, it was out of a love relationship with the Lord and just valuing the importance of that regular connection with the house of God. Again, the Bible says those, or the Bible says this, those who are planted in the house of God will flourish in the courts of the king. There's a flourishing when you're planted, when you're rooted. Of course, we know nothing has fruit unless it has roots. And so I would say the first key to having a successful home, a successful marriage, is to be planted in a house of God, the house of God, so that there can be a flourishing in your lives. It's so important. It's so important for children to have a grounding in a church. It's so important to develop these patterns early, even before you have children, that you just make a commitment. It's not when you the weekend comes, oh, what are we going to do this weekend, and we got nothing else to do, well, maybe we'll go to church. You know, they say now the average church attender is, what, one, one Sunday or two Sundays a month, just a Sunday service. Friends, that's not going to cut it. And uh, we need to make a commitment to the house of God. And when you're rooted in something, that's where the flourishing, that's where the fruit will be established. And the earlier you can establish that, and again, not just in attending, but in participation and volunteering, you and your family, getting your kids involved. When your kids come out of church and you're driving home, ask them, what did you learn today in church? And maybe review it and uh, throughout the week and just strengthen what's being established in uh, the minds of the children. And my wife teaches a class upstairs in uh, preschool, and she's she's commented about how some kids like have no Bible knowledge, and then others, you know, are, are having some knowledge, and it's all what's coming out of the home, and it's uh, in that establishment of the Word of God in, in people's lives. So I just want to end this point and say how blessed I am, how thankful I am that. Um, this was something that was a foundational for me. And I would also say this on, on this point before I move on. You know, of course, who your your children's friends are are so important. It's really important when your child begins to develop friendships that you look to check out who are they hanging out with. Because, of course, peers and friends can have such influence on the thinking and behavior of your child. And uh, I'm not saying that uh, every church kid is perfect. I've met a few, I say this in somewhat of jest, some demonized deacons' kids. <laughs> and I've met some possessed preacher's kids. But uh, so just because a kid or family goes to church doesn't mean that your son or daughter needs to become best friends with them. It might be a bad influence there. But there's a better chance that your kids are going to have better relationships. And so friendships, like good established friendships, are best formed through the church and all that. And so I would say, number one, make the church the center, the center of your family activities. Not that you don't do other activities outside of that, but it, it, the church is, is a key component of your family. Number two... So much more I can say about number one, but number two, establish a prayer culture in your home. Now, what do I mean about that? Of course, as soon as you talk about prayer, a lot of times Christians feel a little guilty because, well, I haven't really been praying as I should, and and um, you know, and and uh, prayer often is very neglected. 
Of course, prayer is just talking to God, and so how can you have a relationship with God if you never talk to Him? So we need to look at prayer not as some King James, um, you know, uh, appeal to God and, and using all these fancy language, and but rather just be very genuine, very truthful, and just out of your heart. Like I'm talking right now, Lord, I come to you, I talk to you, I'm asking for your help, I'm asking for your blessing. And, uh, you know, I, I admire families that could have a daily devotional. Uh, every family has to navigate that. But um, what I would say is have a culture of prayer. In other words, let prayer be the natural response in your home. Don't feel awkward about it. Um, again, some people choose to have a regular family devotional life. And if you're able to do that, that's great. But I would just say this, make prayer the natural default button. And it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be religious sounding, but just a, a simple prayer. You know, <coughs> excuse me, Johnny's going to start school. And uh, so when we start school, Lord, we just pray for Johnny. We just pray he's going to have a great year this year. We just we just pray, Lord, you'll make good friends. And you're starting the year when there's something to celebrate or there's a challenge at school or a challenge in uh, relationships. The natural thing to do is let's pray about this. And again, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be um, some deep intercession. I'm talking now with your children or, um, you know, there's a place for that for sure. God calls people to that and, and we're all called to be people of prayer. But I'm just talking in a home culture with your kids or with your spouse. You know, it's amazing to me how many men have no problem having sex with their wives, but they can't pray with their wives. And... Um, you know, but <laughs> when you pray with your wife, you're creating um, a connection with her spiritually, of course, with the Lord, and a real sense of safety and security and trust. And that really opens the heart of a woman to her husband when he can pray with her and show that kind of concern and care. And so, Gentlemen, things will go better for you if you learn how to pray with your wife and be there and pray with your kids. So I just say a simple prayer. And husbands need to lead in this. How, how often husbands take the back seat in this and let the wife do it. But it's really the husband's, both the husband and wife's role. But the husband really needs to take the lead. And of course, if a husband is not, the wife has to of necessity. And so that's better than nothing. But um, establish a prayer culture. I'm just talking about where in, in, in moments throughout the week, a good report, Lord, we give you thanks. Uh, we hear about a need. Let's just gather and just pray for this. And even if it's a one, two-minute prayer, but it's regular, it's natural, it's, it's the culture of your home, if you will do that, if you'll put the Lord first in your life and look to him, the Bible says, those who honor the Lord, God will honor. Third thing I'll say in the area of spirituality is just to guard the influences of your home. Uh, you got to decide early on what, what's going to be the influence of your home. I'm talking about entertainment choices. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about activities. You know, everything that we put in our lives has an influence on us. And you have to make the choice early you know, if you look to make the choice later and then you're looking to backtrack on things, it's going to be a big fight with your kids or whatever. But if you establish patterns early, make decisions early in your entertainment choices and friendship choices and activities, and you make the choice, what will be the influences of our home and establish that early, uh, you're going to do much better. So, so entertain, like what kind of movies we're going to watch, what kind of things we're going to listen to. If you're not careful, you don't guard that, seeds can be put, influences can be put into your mind, your heart, and then when there may be some little bit of challenge, uh, because that influence is there, it can lead you in a wrong path. And so it's so important that we establish, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, and these are just some things we're establishing in our home. We're not going to listen to this kind of music. We're not going to have this kind of entertainment choices. We're going to guard certain influences because we're protecting what God has given us. The Bible says in Proverbs, above all, guard your heart for out of your heart flow the issues of life. And so out of your home, out of your marriage is going to flow 
what kind of stream, and if you allow pollution to come in, influences to come in, it's going to pollute that stream. So you've got to guard and protect your home. So in the area of spirituality, I would offer these three things to for successful home and marriage. Number one, uh, really establish the church as a center of your family activities. Like it's 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 that. It's that go-to place every week, youth group, kids ministry, and uh, be involved in the worship, uh, not just attending, but getting involved and seeing your kids seeing that the house of God is important. Amen. Number two, adding a, having a prayer culture in your home where prayer just becomes a natural thing to do in times of challenge or in times of victory. Just let's grab the hand. Let's just have a quick word of prayer about this. Or let's just thank the Lord for this right now. You're inviting God into your home and marriage, and it's going to make a big difference. And then thirdly, guarding the influences of your home. Let's move on to uh, emotional, uh, the emotional realm. Uh, Gary Chapman, some years ago, many of you would be familiar with this, he wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And I just put here... Point number four, top ten, or tip number four, or key, I should say, is know your partner's love language. Gary Chapman outlined five of them. And so, basically, the premise of the whole book is that uh, we all have different felt needs. We all have different, um, we respond differently. We're, we're wired uniquely. And so, sometimes uh, people need more things than others in, in relational strength. And so he outlines five. He talks about uh, the five love languages, words of affirmation. So to have someone say, you know, I value what you're doing. You're important. I respect you. You did a great job. Uh, Some people really need that kind of regular affirmation of words, and it's their love language. For someone else, physical touch. Now, that can include sexuality, but it's not just about sex. It's about holding the hand, sitting close, um, that, that hug, that embrace, um, that do, does more for some people than even just words, that physical connection. Uh, quality time was the third, and that's, of course, just spending time together uh, in conversation or just being, maybe just going for a drive and you're talking or maybe not talking, but you're together at least, and people really value that. Uh, acts of service. That's when you do something for someone, you, you're, uh, or your spouse. You're, you're, you're going out of your way to clean off the car, or take out the garbage, or do the dishes, or something, and or, or doing something creative in, in a, an expression that just shows that appreciation. That really speaks to a lot of people. And then the last one, last but not least, these aren't ranked, but is giving of giving and receiving of gifts. And uh, so for some people, that really is their love language. The thing about love languages is we tend to give what we need instead of looking and understanding the other person. You know, the Bible says, dwell with your spouse with understanding. So you look at your spouse or you, or you even ask your spouse, hey, what's your love language? If you, if you can't pick up on it, some of us guys are a little slow. Uh, and just say, hey, what's your love language? And then your wife will look at you and say, we've been married all this time and you don't know. But uh, press on anyway, find out, and uh, you know, begin to, to uh, not just think of your own need. This is the paradox, of course. The gospel is a paradox. You give your life, you save it, you lose your life, you find it. And so when you invest in your marriage and understanding your partner's love language... Uh, a miracle tends to happen, and then it tends to get reciprocated back in the area that you need it, especially when there's good communication. So understand what your spouse needs. Is it words of affirmation? Is it physical touch? Is it quality time? Is it acts of service? Is it gifts? Giving and receiving of gifts. Not that all of these can't be appreciated, but there is a place of understanding how some of it speaks more to, uh, to some than others, and knowing that. All right. Let's move on. Uh, number five and six is relational. So these are my top ten keys to a successful home and marriage. Number five and six, relational. I call this establish the family table. Now, it used to be back in the day, 
that the family table had much more prominent uh, place in the home. It seems today that we're so busy, so many activities, that the family table, the dinner table, or the lunch table, has kind of uh, not there, and then everybody's on their devices or whatever. I would say it's really important to establish a family table. What do I mean by that? At least once a week. If not, preferably. I remember when I was a kid in my parents' home, and I'd be out playing uh, ball hockey or outside, then I'd hear my mother or my father yell outside, Timmy, come home, it's supper time. (laughs) There's actually an old Christian hymn, it's supper time, amen, come to the table. And so we'd get and have supper together. Pretty much every night, my growing up, as I remember, we would have a home-cooked meal, family meal, and it wasn't just the meal, it was that moment that we're actually talking together. Now, the big challenge today is everybody's got a phone in their hand, and so people go out and they're just on their phone. Uh, I heard somebody say they put a basket on the table, okay, everybody put your phone in the basket, and uh, this is a great idea when you go out with a bunch of people for dinner, everybody put their phone in, the first one to grab their phone has to pay the bill. Well, that's <laughs> a good incentive not to reach for your phone, I guess, unless you're looking to be generous. But uh, actually, I called somebody the other day, and I didn't get an answer. And then half an hour later, I got a call back. says, oh, Pastor Tell, I'm sorry, I uh, didn't get your call. We were home, but it was our supper hour, and we just turned our phones off. And I said, hey, no problem at all. I'm so glad that you do that. And it's about conversation. And, uh, you know, if you're not used to that, you pull your kids in and say, okay, let's all sit around the table and talk. They're going to think this is torture. What are you doing to us? But you know what? If you um, press through and they'll eventually learn to appreciate it. If it's not around a meal, maybe it's a game night or something. But a time when you're sitting around together, maybe Sunday after church is the family dinner and it's like a sacred thing. But you establish something. If you don't establish a pattern, if you don't establish that um, weekly time or daily time, or maybe a couple days a week, you know, Wednesdays and Fridays, or Wednesdays and Saturdays, or Wednesdays and, I'm picking on Wednesday, but, you know, every Tuesday and Thursday is family dinner, and uh, the other times there's busyness activity, but we're having a couple times a week where we're coming together, and we're going to talk about how was your day at school, what happened today? What's going on? Getting updates. Very important. Very important. That communication. And then similar to it, I call it have a regular date night. And many of you have heard this before, but as a, with your spouse. And uh, be really intentional to establish a regular, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly, date night. I would even say maybe as a family. But for a marriage without the kids, just the two of you. And uh, it, you don't have to do things that cost a lot of money. You can look for ways to be creative, be intentional to add romance. Uh, you don't have to just spend a lot of money to have a great date. Uh, don't let it be just going to Walmart every time, walking around, but look for some creative ways to have fun together. And uh, now this goes against a little bit. Those like uh, their love languages, giving and receiving gifts. But I've come to a place that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be low on the gifts and more on investing money on experiences. I know, like, my son has so much stuff in his room. Some of it he never, ever hardly played with or, or did anything with. But memories and the feelings around those memories, those experiences, are going to go a long way. And um, so maybe it's a little bit the way I am, a bit wired, but I would rather invest in a family vacation than buying lots of gifts that end up hardly being used. And I think that's a much better thing. So you want to create family experiences. Um, you want to create a date night. You want to have that regular, because if not, you're just like roommates living together, and uh, that's not a good thing. So top 10 keys to a successful home and marriage. Just let me go over what I've co- covered so far. Spirituality. Make church the center of your family activities. Um, make make it a, the, a, a commitment in your home and life. And uh, not just an attending, but involvement. Uh, establish a prayer culture in your home. By that I mean just in those moments, 
just natural. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be religious sounding. Doesn't have to be a, with a furrow in your brow. It just has to be, Lord. We just pray for a great week this week, or great day, or as as uh, you know, my son, my daughter is going to be in this competition. Lord, we just pray for grace or favor, or thank you for this opportunity. Number three, guard the influences of your home. <coughs> Excuse me. Number four, know your partner's love language. Number five, establish the family table. Number six, have a regular date night or create uh, dates with your spouse or family experiences. So very, very important. You know, they say a family that prays together stays together. I would also say a family that plays together stays together. And uh, so that's really, really important. You want to, in your spirituality, you want to make sure you have lots of fun and joy too. That's really important. Let me just talk about a few things on the financial side of things. Top 10. And some of these are obvious, but maybe not so. It's not that everybody does it. I would say number seven here on my top 10 keys is right from the beginning, honor God in your finances. Just a big believer that in your home, your marriage, you need to invite God into it. So that's the point about a prayer culture. When you just take those few moments where it's natural when things are happening and a new job opportunity or, or maybe a job loss or whatever, but you're just saying, Lord, we just pray about this or a need, we pray about it. Taking those few minutes, you're bringing God into the culture of your home. You're bringing God as an important part of your marriage and family. Well, so it is in finances. Honor God right from the beginning. Uh, you know, I remember early on I was seeking to be faithful in giving and tithing. and uh, But, you know, I'd, I'd get a paycheck and then I would pay my bills and then I'd look to honor God in tithes. And I was finding I was having more month than money. And I'm sure there's some that can relate. Of course, I didn't have a great pay but at that time. But uh, anyhow, um, but I just remember one time making a decision, you know, give God the first. And so... Right when pay comes, you know what, I'm not going to worry about anything. The first thing I'm going to do is going to honor God. I made that decision a little while ago, and, uh, and I've been able to stay faithful to it, and I've seen the resulting blessing. Proverbs chapter 3, many of you know this verse, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Goes on to say, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And then here's verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase. And then the promise. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Amen. Notice, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions, honor the Lord in your finances, and the first fruits of all your increase. Amen. I believe in tithes and offerings. When you honor God, you're bringing God into your home and into your finances. And the promise is, your barns will be filled with plenty. The promise is, there's going to be a financial blessing that comes to you. The Bible says, the Lord takes delight in the blessing, the prosperity of his servant. Amen. I believe in God's blessing. I believe in His prosperity. I was just reading today, Psalm 112, that says this, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in His commandments. It says, His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Amen. And then it goes on to say in verse 3, Wealth and riches will be in his home. Hallelujah. So it says, Blessed is the man who honors the Lord, fears the Lord, or honors him, delights in his commandments. Here's this command to honor God with your possessions, the first fruits of your When you honor God, here's the promise. Your descendants are going to be mighty on the earth. Your, your, the generation, your, your children will be blessed. And wealth and riches will be in your home. Hallelujah. And so there's a blessing that comes. Amen. When you honor God, you're bringing God into your financial life. You know, the biggest thing that couples fight about today is on the money issue. 
the money issue. And that's where the biggest conflicts come. And so you want to avoid that. So first of all, this is point number seven, honor God with your finances. Then number two, now you can be a giver, but if you're not a good manager, you're not a good steward, uh, you're still not going to see the blessing. The blessing will be there, but you know, sometimes it's not so much how much you make, but how you manage it. I've seen people do very well at a, set, a certain income, and I've seen others who've had greater income, but really struggle. And the difference simply is in the management. A faithful steward. Jesus even said, if you can't be faithful with the unrighteous mammon or with money, how, how is God going to trust you with the true riches? So this then leads to number eight of my top ten things for a, a successful home and marriage. You've got to establish that weekly, monthly budget. You've got to be able to tell your money where it's going rather than asking it where it's been. <laughs> and uh, so that's what a budget does. A budget is you setting where your money's going to go. Without a budget, you're just asking it where it's been. And, of course, money can flow pretty quickly. It's, uh, it's amazing how, you know, the Bible talks about the little foxes spoil the vine or the little things. And, uh, you know, you've got to watch for the little things because the little things can add up. Um, you know, we were just the other day looking about just, you know, getting a cup of coffee at a local establishment. I won't say what those establishments are, but one bears my name. But anyway... Uh, you know, you get a coffee or two there every day. It's only a couple bucks a toonie. But over a month, that's you do that 30 days in a row with a toonie, that's $60. Do a couple of those, or if you go to another one that's the five-buck coffee, uh, you know what, that's like 150 bucks a month That's that could be used for other things. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for ever having a coffee or having some enjoyment but you got to watch those little things can add up so quickly. It just seems so small. Now, the other way of it is also true. When you establish a weekly or monthly budget, if you will invest even something small but early and consistently, there's no reason why anyone in Canada shouldn't retire uh, in a blessed position. Um, there's not no reason. Uh, if you start small, or start early, rather, and, and even if it's small, it's the power of compound interest over time, that weekly investment. So even right now, you know, my, my son right now is 22. Boy, if he could just begin and is beginning, and I, I'm proud of him. He's being pretty smart with his money. But, uh, you know, that $20, $25 a week, $30 a week invested and just left there, and, uh, you know, and look for a good return as best you can. But you keep doing that over your whole life. And when you re reach retirement age, you're going to be in a very good position. Of course, most people don't start thinking about retirement until they're getting my age uh, or a little bit older. And then all of a sudden they got 10, 15 years of retirement and they're panicking. What are we going to do? Because they haven't made that investment early. So this is so important that uh, you um, you know make that investment. So I would encourage, take a course like Dave Ramsey's course. Get a couple good financial books. Read about these things. Go to a financial seminar. Make some investments. You know, people's, people, people um, you know, put a lot of money into their cars. They put money into new tires, new rims, whatever. And that's why some people, their cars run better than their lives because they don't make investment in some of these things that are so important. So number seven was honor God in your finances. Number eight was establish the weekly, monthly budget. I think that it's something you should do together with your spouse. Normally one is a little better at it than others, but it needs to be included. You need to include some fun money, some play money. You don't want to be so strict that you can never have that cup of coffee or, you know, or, or that little treat or whatever. So you got to have a little bit of play money in there. Uh, I encourage couples that, you know, uh, you're not making, anybody's not making major purchases without consulting with the other. You do it together. And don't make impulsive shopping or buying, you know. Um, you're looking to get something, think about it. It's amazing how you can be overcome with this urge, i got to get it. And then you just say, I'm going to wait two weeks. How all of a sudden, two weeks later, 
not all the time, but sometimes it doesn't seem as important. And so, uh, very important things. Number nine, of course, is a one everybody knows, but it's so important. Invo- avoid credit card debt. So this little talk I give often to uh, uh, new couples, young couples just about to be married. But, um, you know, financial debt is a huge burden. I do believe there's, you know, some people say there's no good debt. I do believe there's some good debt or bad debt. To me, investing in a home where you have a mortgage, most homes have appreciated. Sarnia has done very well with that. So if you got into a home and just making those mortgage payments the last few years, you've probably seen your house increase significantly. So to me, that's a good debt. Um, but credit card debt, you got to avoid it like the plague. And, um, you know, small sacrifices now, wait until you have the cash to, cash to purchase, will uh, cause you to avoid huge sacrifices later on. Uh, credit cards with huge interest payments. And so uh, I've seen families that are so strapped financially, even if they're making good income, but they have so many financial indebtedness obligations, and it is a uh, source of conflict in the home. Of course, this is a trap of the devil. The devil wants to get us in financial bondage so we can't uh, honor God in our finances, and it's it's a stress in our home. And uh, so you want to avoid that. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with just learning to enjoy simpler things. The Bible says this, Godliness with contentment brings great gain. Great, great gain. Godliness with contentment. And so we've got to escape the trap of having this materialistic, greedy, worldly view of just getting more keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, got to have more stuff, the latest stuff, putting things on credit. No, if we'll learn to just be content with where we're at and then making that weekly investment and saving and budgeting, well, in the long run, that is actually going to bring you to a place of great gain. Godliness with contentment, amen. That doesn't mean not believing God for increase, but content not making that impulse shopping, not getting the credit card debt, um, being just thankful for what you have, even if it's little or small, amen, and not getting, you know, having to get the newest car and then you've you got $600 payments every month and, you know, be content with a used car. <laughs> Who cares what anybody thinks? Amen. You don't have monthly payments. You know, and don't compare yourself. Sometimes... You know, I, I learned early on not to compare or look at people because I've met some people in the church world and, you know, maybe it doesn't seem like they have a lot, but then I find out they've got an actual, they, they're doing very well. And then I've met some other people and, you know, you look at everything and say, wow, look at all that they have. And then you find out they are in so much debt, so much financial pressure. It is not worth it. Not worth it to try to keep up with everybody else. Godliness with contentment is great gain. All right, this last one I want to talk about as we just finish here, and this is a little bit PG-13, just talk a little bit about sexuality. So I'm talking about the top 10 keys to a successful home and marriage. Let me just review real quick and then deal with the last one on sexuality. Number one, establish a prayer culture in your home. Amen. And that's just in in times of um, blessing, in times of need. You, you, you're you ready to just take the hand or just say, let's say a prayer about this. And it can only be a two-minute prayer, three-minute prayer, but you're inviting God into your home. It's the natural response just to pray. And guys, you need to lead in this. You really do. Number two, make the church the center of your family activities. I guess I got those reversed. That's number one. Number two, establish a prayer culture. But establish early. We go to church. The house of God is important. Because if it's not important to you, it won't be important to your kids. And I'm giving good stuff here. Number three, guard the influences of your home. Uh, make the choices early and stick to it. If you try to change it later on, it's going to bring a lot of hardship. Uh, number four, establish a family table. That's a, a weekly or a daily or a couple times a week appointment where the family comes together, normally around a meal. Or maybe it's a game night 
once a week or once a month or but something where you put the phones away and you just are hanging out as a ta uh, as a family around the table and if you haven't had this you try to do it your kids going to be like pulling teeth you're going to have major war you have to push through to get it. They'll eventually appreciate and enjoy it. But if you establish it early, it's going to be a great blessing. Boy, I just remember so many great times around my, my family, my parents' table, um, just enjoying it. You know, when I was young, even a teenager, I, I didn't mind staying home. I, I enjoyed my home. I enjoyed being around my parents. It wasn't a burn at all. We had, we had great times together. Uh, number five, have a regular date night with your spouse, and then even as a family, and emphasize more on experience than just buying things or gifts, and you can do things inexpensively that are lots of fun. Number six, know your partner's love language. I'll just give them quickly, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, gifts. Know what each other really appreciates. And then in the financial area, number seven, eight, and nine, honor God in your finances. Start early the patterns of being a generous person. Believe God's prosperity promises for your life. As you sow, as you tithe and then give offerings. You know, what farmer doesn't sow seed and then go look for the harvest? Look for the blessings that come into your life and celebrate them. You will see them. Amen. And take delight in them confess them, declare them as you walk in obedience in this way and believe that wealth and riches are going to be in your home, God's goodness. And it's more than just money, but it does include money. Uh, number eight, establish a budget. Amen. You got to be able to tell your money where it's going versus asking where it's been. That's very important. And this is the whole thing about management. You got to learn how to be a good steward. That's the Bible word or a good money manager. And recognize the small things. The small things, the little things can can uh, rob you. It can add up so quickly you realize, where's my money gone? It's like whole uh, money is like in a bag filled with holes because it's just little things that you don't think too much of. It's only $5 here, $2 there. It can add up really fast. And even small investments, the younger, the earlier, and the consistent investments is going to yield a great result in the end. And then lastly, of course, avoid credit card debt like the plague. If you have to cut up your credit cards, get rid of them. Uh, they're going to keep sending you offers. Just treat it like it's a cancer. And then lastly, probably the most sensitive here is the area of sexuality. Of course, I'm talking between a husband and a wife. And I just say it's so important in a successful home and marriage to, to develop a consistent sexual relationship with your spouse. And you've got to be intentional about this because uh, it is a need, it's a legitimate need within men and women for sexual fulfillment. Life can get very busy, full of activities, and if you're not careful, the sexual part of the relationship can be neglected. And when it is, it actually is going to have a damaging effect to the relationship. God made it in such a way that that sexual union brings a closeness and an intimacy. And when you avoid it, that intimacy is going to be lessened. And uh, you've got to be very intentional about maintaining a regular sexual life together. And there's something really important about a consistency in this. And so this is going to sound a little bit crazy maybe, but even if you have to schedule sexual appointments into your schedule so that uh, it's something to look forward to and something to know that, you know, it's not just going to be days or weeks and I just never know when uh, that opportunity for sexuality is going to be there, but you are being intentional about uh, making that time. Of course, spontaneity is always welcomed. No problem there, but you got to be intentional. And a healthy sexual life will contribute to health in other areas of your relationship. And uh, so this is true for both men and women. We kind of generalize here, but I think it is true that for men, um, there is a, a, a biological need. And um, for sexuality, it's also true for the woman, but maybe in a greater way for the man. The man is the giver, the releaser. And um, uh, he needs to uh, know that there is 
um, that consistency there, and uh, it helps him to avoid temptation. Now, I'm not putting it all on the wife, because a wife could be everything uh, sexually, and if a, a man doesn't get a hold of his sexual desires and surrender them to Christ, uh, the wife could be everything that a wife could or should be, but he has to also uh, establish a commitment to the Lord in this area and surrender that area to his life. But that being said, even if a man has made that commitment, is doing his best to honor God in his sexuality, it is very helpful when his wife is uh, there to um, help meet that legitimate need. And the same is true for the wife as well. And, uh, you know, an enthusiastic partner in this is very important. If it's just looked at as like, well, this is my time, my duty, and uh, just do what you need to do, and uh, <laughs> and uh, this is my marital duty, that's going to turn off both man and wife. There needs to be uh, a sense of... Um, I enjoy you. I want to be with you. I look forward to this. I realize when you got lots of kids and lots of pressures, that can seem like, oh, like another task. But you've got to learn and be intentional to plan times and to make it special and to make it something that both of you can look forward to. And uh, it can be a blessing, a uh, great blessing. And so when that area gets neglected, then it can lead to sexual temptation. You know, the Bible's pretty clear about it. It says, uh, you know, come together. Uh, if you're going to fast and pray, only do it for a season, but then come together so that you're not given to temptation. And so this is very, very important as well. So anyway, I uh, hope you've enjoyed this podcast. <laughs> uh, boy, I don't know. But anyway, this is my top 10 keys to a successful home and marriage. Make church the center of your family activities. Establish a prayer culture in your home. Guard the influences of your home. Establish the family table. Have a regular date night. Value experiences together. Uh, know your partner's love language. Honor God in your finances. Establish a weekly or monthly budget. And so you've got a plan for your finances. And... Uh, I'm just going to play this song again as we go out. Avoid credit card debt <laughs> like a cancer. And be intentional about having a consistent sexual relationship with your spouse. And uh, it's going to be a great blessing. So I pray a blessing on you today. Upon your home and your marriage. You know, the church is only as strong as our homes. Our homes are only as strong as our marriages. And our marriages are only as strong as we are healthy ourselves. And so I pray this blessing for you today. Amen. God bless you every day. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We'll see you uh, on our podcast next week. conclusion love and marriage